Hi friends, this is a podcast about belief, healing, and humanity. What makes us who we are? What makes the world tick? And how can we leave it a little bit better than how we found it? This isn't a how-to guide, even though the title suggests it. How to be human is about finding hope in our stories, being better listeners and agents for change. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. This is How to Be Human. Welcome everyone to How to Be Human. Today, I want to encourage all who are listening, wherever you are, to take a deep breath. Take a moment to check in with how you're feeling and continue to do so as you listen today. If at any point while listening, you feel anxiousness stirring in your body, take a pause and ask, do we need to come back to this? We'll be waiting for you when and if you need to return. I just wanna encourage you to take care of yourself, especially during this time, and know that checking in is one way that you can do that today during today's episode. Now, today's guest is the Reverend Jacqueline J. Lewis, who is Senior Minister at Middle Collegiate Church, a 1,300-member, multi-ethnic, welcoming, and inclusive congregation in New York City. She is a graduate of Princeton Theological Seminary and earned her PhD in Religion and Society slash Psychology and Religion at Drew University. Ordained in the Presbyterian Church USA, Dr. Lewis hosted Just Faith, an on-demand television program on msnbc.com, and is a frequent media commentator. Her books include The Power of Stories, A Guide for Leaders in Multiracial, Multicultural Congregations, 10 Strategies for Becoming a Multiracial Congregation, and the children's book, You Are So Wonderful. She's currently at work on a book on how to heal souls and our world. Reverend Dr. Jackie, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, Rachel, for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Absolutely. Jackie, I usually ask my guests to share their pronouns. Um, and I ask guests in this moment to share reflections on how they are and where they're finding joy in this moment to start us off. And I'd love to hear from you on that. That's great, Rachel. I'm a she, her, hers person. Where am I finding joy? Um, I'm finding joy when I connect with my husband at the end of the day and at the beginning of the day. He's a really centered soul. Um, and I, to be honest, I'm not as centered right now as I have been in my life. <laughs> so connecting with him over coffee, connecting with him at the end of the day for a hug and a how did your day go, that kind of check-in that you just encourage the listeners to do, we do that together. And it really does reset me in a really beautiful way. We are living in um, our uh, house in New Jersey with our uh, son and our daughter-in-law and their two babies. One mm. is six weeks old and one is almost two years old. So there's some joy in the baby smiling at you. And there's also big joy in tickling Ophelia and throwing her around the room. She loves to be, there's big joy in that. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, babies bring the best joy. Uh, yeah. My wife's sister has a almost, almost one year old, which is wild to think. And we look forward to getting our daily video updates. Oh, um, yeah, he's he's doing the thing where he's standing and kind of like standing up and wobbling right now. And we're just like, ah. so, yeah, yeah, it's beautiful to see um, to see life 
and a season of so much death. So I appreciate the the baby updates. I'm glad you have some babies around you. <laughs> I'm glad you have some too. And I, I, I just want to say that I see hats in your world. Uh, oh, yeah. A big hat. So just wanted to get that on the table. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is the closet that I record How to Be Human in. And for listeners, we're on Zoom right now. So my guests can actually see the tiny closet that I do the show in. Um, wow. Yeah. I love hats. There are so many along the door here. So, you know, I had questions and I went to sleep last night and I woke up this morning and I was like, I want to talk about Holy Week first. Mm. And I want to speak some love into the atmosphere right now because this is a hard week. Um, you know, we're, we're in the midst of Holy Week right now and it's Wednesday for us and we're making our way um, to Thursday, to Good Friday, to Holy Saturday and Easter. And we, it feels like a long way to go. Um, and our collective and individual Holy Week experiences probably look Look different and feel different. Um, and Lent itself has been, at least for me, the most tangible experience I have had in my entire life, um, especially within my faith. Um, and I'm wondering for you um, how you might be experiencing Holy Week in a new way um, and how God is showing up for you, even in the midst of, of, this, of this moment. I'm so glad we're starting there, Mitchell. You know, um, Wednesday um, tonight this is the first night of Passover, right? And so I'm I'm, I'm always fascinated when I have uh, young people say to me, "Why are Passover and Easter so close together?" And you say, "Well, that would be Jesus is a Jew, and then you know he's kind of celebrating the thing, and and we um, we build our faith. I would say in the echo of that faith, right? Um, when you go to Israel, if one goes to Israel and you do an archaeological, if you go to any of the spaces, if you go to the Sea of Galilee, if you go to the, this desert, if you go to that um, mount, you can feel how the city is built on top of the city, on top of the city. And in a way, Christianity is built on top of Judaism. And I want to say in the space of, not on top of, but literally archaeologically on top of. And so I think about the story for, for Jesus and the Jewish people of Exodus is what really... Um, we will be free. Some of my Jewish friends are writing, we will be free. This idea that God is a God who can hear our cries and who cares so deeply about our hurt and our pain and is listening and is liberating. And so when we get to Monday, Thursday, the beginning of our Holy Week, and we're listening for an echo of Jesus's mandate to love, right? Monday, Thursday is the mandate, mandata, to love. I feel like God's calling out to us to really love each other, to love each other through this crazy COVID time, that there's no explanation for a disease gone crazy, except that viruses thrive, you know, in human bodies. And there's no, you know, no, there's no scourge, there's no punishment, there's no, uh, I'm coming to get you, Ness. there's no um, meanness that this is some kind of visitation from God, just as the viruses thrive in human bodies. And how do we make meaning of this time? Well, Holy Week gives us a chance to do life and to do death, and to do life and to death, to do to breathe with the cycle of life, that there 
is sick, sickness, there is suffering, there is healing, there is wellness, there is death, and there is life. And God is present in the dying and God is present in the living. That's what gets me up in the morning, not that God is a magician and will heal us all and going to be okay. That's clearly not true. There's no correlation between faith and faithfulness and prayer and that everything is always going to turn out okay. But it is true that God is always present. And that really comforts me. So we'll, we'll do Thursday. We'll do Friday. We'll think about how love can be crucified. We'll think about how COVID-19 visits itself more strongly, more violently, more deals more death to black and brown people. To poor people. We'll, we'll mourn that. We should mourn that. We should pray about that. And when it's Sunday morning and, and we think about how death doesn't have the last word, I hope that means for all people of faith that we will think about how to make life more abundantly for all of our neighbors. How do we think about using our money? How do we think about our economy? How will we use our vote and voice to make yeah. the world we want? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, it's a blessing for me, and I know it's going to be a blessing for other people listening just to hear your reflections. You know, you, you mentioned a couple of different things, and so I kind of want to lift those up um, because I think they're, they need to be named and they need to be faced and discussed. Um, you've mentioned um, in your Palm Sunday sermon, um, and I just want to quote a line from it. Uh, you said, there's there is a white supremacy that lives inside Christianity, and it is that kind of preaching that got Trump elected. And when white supremacy masquerades as Christianity, it's God's people on the margins who suffer. Um, and when I heard you preach this sermon, I thought a lot about the death in our midst and how, and you just lifted this up, how this death is taking the lives of predominantly black and brown bodied individuals. And I'm wondering for you, especially in your context of being um, a pastor in New York, in Manhattan, you know, how you're seeing white supremacy masquerade right now as Christianity in this moment. Thank you for that question. Thank you for the quote too, Rachel. My church is a multi-everything church. I like to celebrate it that way. We are all ethnicities. We are all genders and gender performance and sexual orientations. And we also a huge swath economically, like it is the subway inside our church on Sundays. And now you know, we are spread out like everybody is. Um, and so those of us who have the ability to isolate ourselves, you know, those of us who have a place to go and be, many of us have it because we are economically stronger than others. And we can tie the 10 times wealth gap between blacks and whites to the legacy of, of chattel slavery in this country, to redlining, to the inability for even black soldiers who served in uh, combat to come home and buy places because of redlining and limited loans. And that, 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 that buying a house is such a builder of wealth in America. We can think about this, the, the men and women who are incarcerated, the men and women that are in detention, quote, so-called detention centers, that all of them are just living on top of each other and not able to spread out, not able to isolate. Mm -hmm. not able. And I mean, the tie I make back to Christianity, even though we're not just a Christian nation, nation is built on a theology of white supremacy. It's, it, it is God and country built upon Thomas Jefferson's suspicion that the Blacks are not as smart, not as good, that they don't mind labor, that they're not as beautiful, that they don't seem to feel, and how this is just woven into the way we do Christian, to where the slave Bible did not have the Exodus story, to where 
there is a kind of manifest destiny and white supremacist ideology that makes you even just get on a boat and come across an ocean looking for religious freedom and feel like it's okay to take the land from the people who are here. Yeah. And honestly, Rachel, any of your viewers look up the, the Reformed Church in America, of which we are a part, my church. We know we are the ones who came to trap furs with the Native Americans, with the indigenous people, the Lenape, and took their land and here we go. Yeah. So we have confessing to do, all of us. We have reparations to make, all of us. And a critique of our theology that, that even makes people say, you know, I can go into my church and I'm taking my people because it's going to be okay because what? We're, God loves us and God's going to protect us. That also is a supremacist ideology. When Christians can say about an obvious philanderer, an alleged rapist, a person who reneges on their debts, a person who doesn't pay their workers fairly. You and I know these scriptures call us to do this. Mm. When we can elect him to president and then say he's chosen by God to be president for such a time as this, we have we have just broken our covenant with Jesus. I hope that doesn't sound too strong, but no. we just when when you when the one you follow in the world is a un pobrecito, a poor one an itinerant preacher, a poor Jewish person born in Galilee who leaves the world with nothing, and you believe you'd be Christian in a sort of capitalist, classist, oppressive to the poor, to the marginalized way, you've just misread everything. You've misread everything. You've missed the mark. Mm. I don't think anything that you're saying is too strong. I think that it's the message that's getting washed away at the shoreline. I'm I'm, I'm curious. Um, I was actually... Chelsea, my wife and I, we don't really watch the news that much because um, we can't right now. It's um, we choose our sources wisely um, and stay away from the TV because it's just so draining. But we were watching um, the news last night by chance because we were I think we were watching Jeopardy. We always watch Jeopardy and try to pretend like we're really smart um, <laughs> and shout out answers and get them wrong half the time. Um, but the news came on right after it and it was muted and they were doing news moment on the racial disparity and the amounts of um, black deaths that are happening across the country in, in hot spots right now. I, I was surprised because I had been getting the information just from Twitter, just from people talking about it and sharing their stories. And so I'm, I'm wondering for you, um, have you been noticing nationwide or where you are in New York, are people talking about this in the media, or is it still kind of a hidden conversation? Yeah, I think there's more conversation about it in the media, uh, more than there was two weeks ago. And, you know, I'm talking to you today, and I'll be talking to some folks later today and tomorrow about this. I think more of us are talking about it, and so it's being said out loud. But I do think that there's something about the way we've been isolated from each other. And I will say, I mean this absolutely just as fact and not a pejorative uh, thing. But I think when we, when folks are isolated at home, I think our news stations think we want to be entertained. Yeah. So, you know, so, you know, one can listen to some kind of really serious moment and like, wow, that was really helpful. But then the next thing is like, what kind of haircuts did you get? Or, you know, so I think if we as consumers would say to our, to the people from whom we buy news, Tell us more truth about this. Mm -hmm. We might get more truth. 
Mm-hmm. And if we would support public television or wherever you're getting that good news and send your funds that way, you, you, you're, you're saying, um, hey, I celebrate this. Follow the people on Twitter and Instagram who are telling truth. Because this COVID is just revealing, Rachel, right, the underbelly that is America. This is not new news. And when, when the hurricanes come, black and brown people more suffer. When the economy crashes, black and brown people suffer. When HIV AIDS came, black and brown people suffer. Uh, the poverty, the, the, the disparity in healthcare, the disparity in wealth, the disparity in um, opportunities that start with Head Start are why, are why black and brown people are gonna die more now. And anti-black racism in America is as factual as apple pie in every community, in every strata, we are still, we have still not overcome. And I personally believe we can work together. Like I don't feel hopeless about this. Um, one of my mentors is Ruby Sales, who's always asking, you know, where does it hurt? And she asks white people where it hurt. And our conversations are like, white people suffer from, from anti-Black racism. White people suffer from a racist nation, from a white supremacist nation. And I believe that our call as people of faith, Rachel, is to really heal the world. Yeah. Um, with revolutionary love, with the fiercest kind of love. We can do it. I know we can be in communities together where we care about each other across our difference. My church is a giant laboratory, middle collegiate church, of all this diversity hanging out. But we have to be intentional. And I hope if there's anything that happens because of this moment, that we will find our way to say this is not acceptable, not who we want to be. And that's Every person who believes in, in God at all, however you name God, and every person who believes in love, no matter whether you think you're an atheist or not, if you believe in love, let's do something about this together because yeah. we can wire our society. Yeah, that's the unifying, the unifying force. I'm thinking about um, Andre Henry who uh, says, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in this moment, um, for a lot of those who have been privileged, especially a lot of white people who have been privileged by the way the society is set up, we're, we're seeing the horrors of our country um, for the first time. A lot of us are are seeing and hearing for the first time. And we're in isolation, which makes perhaps the depth of how we feel it deeper because we can't go numb it in different ways like we used to. I I agree. Like, I always have a a well of hope. um, And I always think that love is a unifying force. And I believe in change. And of course, I have moments where I think, oh, my gosh, this won't happen. But I always come back up to like, okay, we have work to do. But right now, it just feels like um, a different kind of like gospel breaking through. Like, for me right now, like the biblical text feels the most tangible. Like, I feel like I can sit with the Israelites in the wilderness and be like, I kind of get it. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I see you and you, you're looking at me right now and you're telling me to keep going. Yeah. Um, and it's been a very, um, a very spiritual, bizarre, like comforting notion to lean, to lean deeper into that because um, what was true then is still true today and will be true tomorrow, um, which is comforting as well. I really love the way you said that. Whoever said that the text, like the text is living now, right? It is, it, 
it is it is in this discomfiture that we can taste and see the the living God. Uh-huh. The God really actually does show up in the places where there is pain and sorrow, and where we are lost and needing to be guided through the wilderness with a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud. I think that's true. And I hope what happens, Rachel, is that we, that we take the text and make it like a part of our own living text, that we write a new story in our hearts, that we, we become these storied people, storied by exodus, by resurrection, by, you know, breaking bread together, by, yeah, like all of these wonderful spaces where we know God really can show up. I hope that we're writing or blogging. I hope that pastors or chaplains are, are writing. I, I hope that we get to read that new text when we rejoice and come out of, of the wilderness season that we're in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we're kind of sitting in the weightiness of who gets left behind, but, you know, as a queer person, I've been thinking a lot about um, about younger queer people, um, youth, who necessarily may not be queer, but for me, that's my context of thinking, who may be at home with unaffirming, unaffirming parents or they don't even have a home. Um, I'm wondering how you've been wrestling with that tension, what your community might be doing in this moment to creatively find ways to connect with these people, and and also how we may connect with people who may not be privileged enough to have access to the internet. That's something that I've been thinking about, and I'm curious um, to what you've been thinking about on that. Yeah, that's such a good question. I think I want to celebrate um, first one of my one of my friends, whose name is Jeff Mummert. I'm just going to say his name. Sometimes you want to say someone's name. Yeah. He's this incredibly gifted, like corporate guy, you know, he works at a a company that does software stuff and um, came to my church maybe, maybe 15 years ago, 14 years ago, Um, white, privileged, comfortable, makes a really decent living and has a heart for queer homeless youth. Mm. So he, he's on the board of this program called New Alternatives, and I want to say their name, who at once were in our building, um, had to make some changes, and they are now in, I think, a Lutheran church. But these kids are still being served. Like these mm. kids, these, these, you know, these beautiful trans boys and these, you know, wonderful um, queer girls and just, and their fabulosity and their searching and seeking, the way they've been, you know, put out of doors by these parents who can't get it together. I just love that Jeff does that. I just love that they mm. still t- of those folks. And I want to say to anybody who's listening, if you want to do something, like look up new alternatives and think about how you can um, use your funds, use your time, use your influence to direct some love to those kids. We've gotten some questions about this on, on our website and in our social media. And my team, Ben Perry, Elise Turali, um, they are creating conversations for queer youth. And I think we can and will do more. We have to do more. Um, how unsafe is it for kids to be, like I'm just going to say, our little happy, well-adjusted family got stressed out about a grocery trip the other day, right? right. Stressed. So in the best of times, in the best of times, in the best of families, this thing is a giant anvil, a giant weight, you know, pick the, pick the word for how it is soul crushing to be mm-hmm. stuck in your house, to be away from your routine, to feel economically stressed. So I'm in a great space and we're stressed. I think about 
families where now your young kid is in the house and they're not at school and you get to see their queerness up close and personal and you're thinking what's wrong with them and what's wrong with me and those are the wrong questions right. but they are questions yeah. and maybe Rachel I want to say to you to your listeners this is this is my job as a straight married clergy to never make theologies that oppress queer kids this is my job this is our job it is ultimately the church's responsibility the synagogue's responsibility the mosque's responsibility to 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 grow people of faith who think about everybody as a gift from god everybody as awesomely and wonderfully made in god's image psalm 139 you know And and until we do that, you know, there's this, I'm going to say that the horrific symptom of a church that can kill, a theology that can kill, to quote our friend Kevin, the symptom is the kid that's at home, you know, in his pink, you know, sneakers and his dad wants to beat his butt. Mm -hmm. The symptom is that the hatred is sown in church and we have to do better. I, on the on the parallel to that, I um, have read a lot of blogs recently um, by queer friends who've been writing to to folks who are mourning not being able to be in their physical church building right now, mm-hmm. and extent which blows my mind. I mean, I I feel the same way. I hold immense sympathy for folks who are experiencing that for the first time, but the reality is is that we've been experiencing that for a long time. Long time. Long time. I think I mentioned that I did mention this on. Um, Ben Perry's episode that we just did, but um, Middle has been my church for the last year, and I've just kind of like summoned and been like, "Hey, I come to your church," <laughs> but it's been, um, you know, for for queer listeners who who might be feeling the weight or the anger towards people who are upset about not being able to be in their churches right now, I I feel with you and I understand and I will say that middle is a space that you can attend and hopefully heal some of those wounds and still be nourished in a way. Um, and I will continue to say that um, because it's been nourishing for me to be able to, to come to this church and, and heal some wounds. Um, and, the, and the other side of that is um, I'm so humbled by our community that we continue to be empathy filled and, and love filled towards folks who I know are hurting. We're all hurting to not be in our physical spaces right now. And I know this speaks to the privilege of Internet usage, but um, I work for a nonprofit um a boys and girls club nonprofit organization. And I've asked all of our club directors to start making video content where they specifically talk to the camera and they say their kids' names. Mm-hmm. Um, because mm-hmm. even, even if they're at home um, and they are in spaces that aren't safe, they may still have access. Kids are, you know, kids are resourceful. They may find a way to have access to Facebook, um, to Instagram. And so our directors have been speaking their names and talking to them and telling them that they love them, just brief messages. Um, and our hope is that is that they hear us or that someone else sees it and then thinks maybe I should reach out to so-and-so. So that's kind of been the way that we've been doing that in, in our organization, but it's difficult. Yeah. It weighs heavy with me. I think a lot about, um, queer youth right now and being and being in tight spaces and also you know all all forms of abuse that are on the rise right now it's the sad sad reality of of what is going on and it's also another thing that isn't being said um so i so i so i feel like i need to say it now um i'm glad you you are and i want to join you i mean i 
I don't, whoever is in earshot of our conversation, you know, this, you know, black straight auntie, I see you and you're beautiful. I know you're just beautiful. You are being who you're intended to be. You stretch out and dance your dance and sing your song and live your truth and be yourself. We have these amazing kids at our church. Um, Rachel, some are so young, you don't know, you don't know what they're behaving. But I'm in love with my little boys with their sparkly sneakers and their nail polish, right? And I'm in love with my little girls who are like all, you know, basketball high tops and, you know, being themselves. And I'm, I'm not trying to play in stereotypes. I'm trying to say the beautiful rainbow of sexual expression and identity is such a gift to the universe. And, and I, I just find myself thinking, what are we afraid of? So if you're listening and you're afraid, if you're listening and you're um, trying to hide, if you're listening and you don't feel seen, we see you and you're gorgeous and wonderful. Ah, I wish I could hug you, but I'll just do this. <laughs> and then I forget that this is audio. We're trying to hug each other right now via the Zoom. <laughs> I want to come back out to the to the broader view. You know, the systemic issues of as we've been discussing pre-existed um, before this virus. Now it's available for all to see, feel, taste, and experience. Yeah. I know in conversations that I've been having with colleagues at my seminary, friends, family members, there's this new emergence of a sense of call to, to act and then an immediate weight of what could I do? How could mm-hmm. my voice make a difference in this mass void of neglect? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know at middle, um, you know, I've experienced several times the call to be the one who brings the voice to the forefront. Yes. And, and love hearing every single time I come. Um, and I wonder for you what that has looked like personally and ways you're imagining, and I mentioned it kind of before, but ways you're imagining the gospel breaking through the death that is really tangible for us all right now. Could you offer to people who are like, I want to do something, but then they're like, what could I possibly do? Yeah. Thank you for that, Rachel. So, um, I mean, I think I'm just to be personal really quick for a second. I felt called a ministry when I was about eight years old. Um, I didn't know how to call it a call, but I fell in love with God. When I took communion the first time, I was like, whoa, this is great. I am feeling this, you know, this is my jam. Um, I just, my mom told me that the bread meant God would always love me and the cup meant God would never leave me. That was like everything time. Pastor was like, wah, wah, wah. I don't know, but my mom was like, this bread means God will always love you. And this cup means God will never leave you. And... It is so painful to see so much hurt. But I think that's a simple charge. I think that's a simple sermon we can all preach. Like we don't have to agree on all the systematic theology or, you know, blah, 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 blah. But God is love, period, full stop. God is love. And it's biblical, right? The Bible says, First John, God is love. And those who tabernacle in love, those who live in love, live in God and God lives in them. Like that will preach to the queer kid that's at home stuck, to the older person that's in the nursing home. God is love. God is love. God is love. What can you do? Be like Mary. You know, you and I believe that when Jesus breaks out of the death and Mary is at the tomb and she doesn't recognize him, but he calls her name and, and she's like, ah, oh. and he says, go and tell the, go and tell my brothers and sisters, just go and tell, go and tell. That's our call. 
That's a church's call. Don't go and tell you're going to hell. Don't go and tell you don't belong. Don't just go and tell God is loving you are loved. That is such a powerful tool we have right now. And everybody can do that. When you're making your reach out phone calls, when you're in your Twitter thing, doing your thing, when you're making an Instagram post, create a tsunami of God is love and you are loved. That is a justice sermon because if we're all loved, because God is love, then everyone should have enough. Mm. And everyone should have health care. And everyone should have a safe place to live. And everyone should be able to learn. And no one should have to choose between paying bills and buying medication. God is love and you are loved is the beginning and the end of do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Period, 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 full stop. And everybody can say that. And everybody can do that. And everybody can look through a hermeneutic of love at the world. Does this vote mean God is love and you are love? Hell no. Then vote no. Does this mean, does this policy mean God is love and you are loved? Hell no. Then vote no. Does this practice, does this, does this strategy, does this way we do our work at work, does, does this, um, who are we going to lay off? Does any of that, does any of it look like it's not love? Then say no and say yes to the love. That is activism, is saying yes to the truth of every human being deserves to be treated as though they are a divine spark filled walking sunsa of the holy, filled with love and joy and deserving to be treated as such. That's activism. And that's everybody. The kid who's got friends who are being bullied, the older adult, you know, in a nursing home, everybody can advocate for love right where they are. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Right? Just do that. Just do it. <laughs> That's how we bring truth to light. Yeah. We, we might, you know, we can't march right now, but we can march right now. I'm so bummed out that Bernie, Bernie drops out of the race. Uh, I'm just, okay. That's that getting that said. I was bummed out when, when Kamala dropped out. I was just bummed out. Right? But yeah. we cannot let loose the energy of standing up for each other today and demanding, demanding of our electeds that they treat us like we are loved by God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have to do that. If you're angry right now, use that. That's Raise exactly your voice. Right. That's right. Um, tell people what's not right in the world right now, what's not useful, um, and believe that that doesn't fall on deaf ears. Because the more that we come together, the more that the seesaw comes to the people instead of the empire. Um, and that's that's what it's going to take. It's, it's going to take that. I've got... Um, We've got voters' rights group at, at the church. We did some anti-racism work for the last five years, more bef before that on Black Lives Matter, but also like, what does it look like practically? So we're look, working on voting right now. And there's a woman named Joanne Robinson, I'm gonna say her name, who's isolated and just wrote 300 postcards to people like, go vote, right? So mm. pick a thing to do and do it. Email everybody in your list and say, what does love look like today? Pay attention, read, be your own kind of journalist, focus on yeah. the thing that matters to you the most and direct your love at that and demand that your electeds listen from, from, the, from, your, from your local school board to he who shall not be named in the White House. <sighs> we have to love our way out of this. Austin Chang Brown, I saw Austin Chang Brown speak uh, months ago now. She, she said, you know, there's so many things that we that we could do that we could be passionate about and you just said it you know you said she said pick one thing and throw all your passion into it 
and that's doing justice. That's awesome. Yeah. So. Are you reading? Are you reading any um, Lynn Unger poems? Uh, I know one one of hers went around that was about the pandemic. That was beautiful. Um, but my this morning I wrote to a bunch to the people that are like on my board just to tell them I love them. And this one came back from um, Philistine and she sends me the breathe prayer. It's short. I'll say breathe, breathe, said the wind. How can I breathe at a time like this when the air is full of the smoke of burning tires, burning lives? Just breathe, the wind insisted. Easy for you to say if the weight of injustice is not wrapped around your throat, cutting off all the air, I need you to breathe. I need you to breathe. Don't tell me to be calm when there are so many reasons to be angry, so much cause for despair. I didn't say to be calm, said the wind. I said to breathe. We're going to need a lot of air to make this hurricane together. That's Lynn Unger in December of 2014. Honey, let's be a hurricane, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for reading that. Uh, I, I want to honor your time and I'm watching the time and I, I want to say if there's anything else that that's coming to you that you want to speak right now, there's room for it. I, th- I think Rachel, I want to undergird something about how connected we are. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I, sometime later today, I got to go beat my face and be, be like publicly seen, but you're seeing me in the glasses and the crazy clothes from yesterday and you're in your closet and, and I'm, I know your work, but I'm like, in love with you today like it's 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 connecting with you like this this like eye to eye face to face wanting to hug because we're just telling truth this is the human thing that we have to give each other like mm-hmm. we don't have to be in a building to connect in fact the church started in a house maybe in a closet Rachel <laughs> small little yep. place but people just saying I see you yeah, I see you. This is uh, Ubuntu. You know, I am who I am because you are who you are. Mm-hmm. You're listening. Somebody needs to know that you see them and you see them into existence. You see them into their power, into their strength, into their beauty. And that's what it means to be human. So like call somebody up or FaceTime somebody, but listen and see and empower them with your recognition of their divine humanity. That's our project. It's such a joy to, to, to see you face to face via Zoom and just to have you on the podcast. Um, you are a voice and light in the world. And I know that many, many other people do. So let me say thank you for me and for them. Um, you're a gift and I appreciate, appreciate all you do, honestly. Um, I appreciate you too, Rachel. I'm so glad you're part of our community. I see you. I'm so grateful to you for the work you're doing. And I'm sending you and Chelsea like just giant wishes of love and peace. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I want to give a moment uh, how can people find you, get connected with you and the church? Yeah, we're at middlechurch.org. If you go to our homepage, you'll see all the things that we're doing for this Holy Week. Lots of beautiful th- things, ways to connect on Good Friday at 7, on Holy Saturday at 7, and on Easter Sunday at 1145. Still sending you good music and good vibes. And all week long, there are ways to connect, to read, to learn, to study, to dance, to have story time for your little people. We want to be your family. So come home to us and follow me at Rev Jackie Lewis, all the places. Thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate you being here today. And and, um, yeah, this was great. Thank you for talking to me. I'm so honored. Thank you so much, Rachel. Take care. Thank you.